The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to find food truth and connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. And today I'm absolutely delighted to have with us Ken Roseborough. Ken is the editor and publisher of a fantastic newsletter called The Organic and Non-GMO Report. It's a monthly newsletter, and it's really designed to help food producers respond to the challenges of genetically modified foods. But I have to say that after looking at this last issue, Ken, I think that it has a much wider audience, and I really want consumers to know about the newsletter and about your work. So welcome. Thank you, Melinda. I'm happy to be here. Happy to talk about this important topic. It's really very critical to us as consumers and to farmers. Now, you are a member of the Iowa Organic Association, and I just saw you last weekend at your meeting. Tell me how you got involved in this topic. Well, I've been interested in healthy foods for, for a long time, and I guess it was about 12 for 13 years ago, I first heard about genetically engineered foods, and the more I read about it and learned about it, the more concerned I, I got. And it just, the whole technology and the way they're manipulating the, the DNA of foods just didn't feel right to me. So I, I wrote an article initially about 10 years ago for a uh, news service called the American News Service about genetically engineered foods, and I found all about the topic and did a lot of research and learned there's so many aspects to this issue. So I wrote that article, and then I worked for a laboratory that does testing. They test foods for genetically engineered ingredients. Uh, The laboratory is called Genetic ID. And I wrote articles for them. My background is in journalism and wrote articles for trade magazines for them about their testing services. And after a while, I saw that there was a a non-GMO market emerging because there were concerns about genetically engineered foods. And as a result of the concerns, People wanted non-GMO. They wanted non-genetically modified foods. So there was a market emerging for non-GMO. So I decided to launch a a newsletter that focused on the non-GMO market. And I launched the newsletter in 2001, and we've been publishing it ever since. Well, the first article or the feature article in this month's issue is about the U.S. court overturning the approval of GM sugar beets. And this is a really interesting topic to me from a number of perspectives. First and foremost, the fact that as a consumer and a dietitian, I believe that people have a right to know what's in their food and that ultimately they should be making a decision about whether or not they want to have genetically modified ingredients. And when I learned that 50% of the sugar that's in our food today comes from sugar beets, I became really alarmed because it seemed like, A, there wasn't going to be a label on the food, and B, my choices were um, quickly narrowing. So tell me about this 
this article that you wrote and tell me where we stand today. Yeah, the sugar beet issue is a hot topic right now. Genetically engineered sugar beets were introduced. Farmers started growing these. They're called Roundup Ready because they're genetically engineered to withstand sprays of Monsanto's Roundup herbicide. They started to be, be grown in 2008 was the first year that they were grown. And and in this past year, I understand that more than 90% of the sugar beets grown in the U.S. were Roundup Ready. That's right. And there were several groups that were concerned about the introduction of Roundup Ready sugar beets for the reasons that you mentioned, not, you know, that they wouldn't be labeled, that food products made with sugar from GM sugar beets would not be labeled, and there's concerns about the health impacts. There were several groups that banded together to file a lawsuit against the U.S. Department of Agriculture for for approving these genetically engineered sugar beets. Uh, One of the groups was the Center for Food Safety. Uh, There were several organic farmers involved. There was an organic seed company. So they filed this lawsuit back in 2008. And just recently, uh, a judge ruled in their favor, saying that the U.S. Department of Agriculture, they should not have approved the genetically engineered sugar beets because they did not assess the economic impacts on farmers who are growing non-GMO beets, and they didn't assess the environmental impacts of the genetically engineered sugar beets. So the judges basically ruled that the USDA has to go back and assess the economic and environmental impacts of genetically engineered sugar beets. So this is a very good thing that has happened. It's fantastic. Now, what about the GMO or the sugar that's been produced from the GMO sugar beets? Will that be allowed to stay in products on the market? It will. Yeah, it will. The judge is scheduled to meet with the plaintiffs of the lawsuit, uh, the Center for Food Safety and several others, along with representatives from the USDA. And I think it's they're supposed to meet sometime this month. And the Center for Food Safety and the plaintiffs want the judge to put an injunction on further sales of the seed to prevent the uh, seed from being sold. So the farmers won't be able to plant the genetically engineered sugar beets. It's interesting because there is a precedent with this case that was set a couple of years ago with genetically engineered alfalfa. Right. The same thing happened. The Center for Food Safety organized a lawsuit against it, and the judge ruled in the plaintiff's favor, and the USDA was required to conduct an environmental impact study. And the judge also blocked sales of any... Uh, Roundup Ready alfalfa seed. So there is a precedent with the alfalfa case that has been applied so far with the sugar beets. So it's very possible that the judge may block further sales of of the genetically engineered sugar beets well, seed. It's interesting that you know the issue seems to be that the court is ordering USDA to conduct a rigorous assessment of environmental and economic impacts. And and then that has to do with, you know, farmers and the environment. But the missing piece I see here is, has anybody tested the impact to public health? 
No, no, and that's that's a big problem. There's a big gap there. It's interesting you should mention that because there there basically is no funding available that look at the impacts of genetically engineered foods on human health because most of the universities in the United States, well, a lot of the agricultural universities in the United States, their policy is basically that genetically engineered foods are safe and that they're substantially equivalent to regular foods, so there isn't any issue of safety. And there's researchers out there who who would like to do research on the impacts of genetically engineered foods on human health, but finding getting funding for that type of research is very difficult. The only one I'm aware of who's doing this is a scientist in Australia. Her name is Dr. Judy Carmen, and she is looking at the impacts, the health impacts of genetically engineered foods, and she's had a very difficult time getting funding and also getting <laughs> basically harassed by proponents of biotechnology. That's another thing that scientists face is intimidation from proponents of biotechnology when they want to do this type of research. Yes, and I noticed that uh, some of the articles that you've covered in, in this report have to do with scientists who are raising flags about food safety, saying that it's woefully inadequate, that when scientists raise concerns about food safety, either their jobs are threatened or that the industry says, no, pull that study. So how are we as consumers, food consumers, eaters, to really know? You know, I I think that generally people seem to think that we're under this illusion, you know, that the government is somehow protecting us and that if it's on the shelf, therefore it must be safe. But I I see some real red flags, and I I see several articles that you've included in your report that also agree with that concern. Yes, there are a lot of concerns about the safety of genetically engineered foods. Uh, There have been studies done in Europe. Most of the studies looking at food safety have been done in Europe. There was one done by the Austrian government, very extensive study that uh, They did a feeding study with GM corn, feeding it to mice, and they noticed it was a long-term study, and over several generations, they found out that the mice that were fed the GM corn had reduced fertility, which is a very disturbing finding. So there are concerns. Unfortunately, as I mentioned, there's very little research that's looking into the risks of eating genetically engineered foods, and there needs to be more studies done looking at the looking at these uh, these risks absolutely here's another one you've got French study reveals liver and kidney damage from approved GM corn the question about whether genetically modified crops could be involved in what we're witnessing with some of our pollinators I think that while many of us have concerns we feel I guess you could say helpless because we don't know where to start to make a difference. Do you have any ideas on that? I think we really need to be educated about the concerns surrounding genetically engineered foods. Information needs to get out there to help consumers learn about these risks. There's a real lack of awareness of this whole topic, so people really need to know in whatever way we can 
uh, through my newsletter and through books that other people have written to really uh, help consumers learn about genetically engineered foods and the risks that are involved. And then consumers, once they're aware of what, the, what is happening, they need to demand from the food companies that they produce non-GMO foods. Um, these big companies, big food manufacturers can have a huge impact if, if enough consumers contact them. The, an example I give is that the, the market for genetically modified potatoes was basically killed by the fast food companies about nine years ago. Farmers were growing genetically engineered potatoes to make french fries for the fast food companies, McDonald's and Burger King. But in about the year 2000, these companies started to become concerned that their customers would raise concerns about eating french fries from genetically modified potatoes. So they told their suppliers not to buy genetically engineered potatoes. Suppliers told the farmers not to grow them, and the farmers stopped buying the seeds. So it basically killed the market for genetically engineered potatoes. So it just shows the impact these big companies can have on this issue if enough consumers demand non-GMO foods. You are so right, Ken. You know, I was at a dietetic association meeting a couple of years ago, and I had expressed my concern to some of the chocolate candy companies about using GMO sugar beet sugar. And they said, you know, basically, the consumer is king, although I don't think we necessarily always realize the power that we have. And so I always encourage, I want to encourage my, our listeners today and anyone who is concerned to let the manufacturers of the foods that you purchase know and let the farmers know where you purchase your food that you'd rather not purchase crops or meat from animals that have been fed genetically modified grain. I mean, that, I see that as a huge issue too because so many of the meat producers now, even on a local level, they'll say we have natural meat. They, it's not organic because, as you know, organic then is our really best guarantee that we're not getting genetically modified ingredients. But this word natural somehow conveys the same thing as organic, and it's, it's actually nothing could be farther from the truth, right? Right, yeah. The word natural has no meaning whatsoever. For example, organic, the word organic is highly regulated. In order for a company to put organic on their label, they have to have gone through certification. You know, they have to comply with, with certain standards. Whereas the word natural, there are no stand, there's no standard for the word natural. So anybody can, any food company can use it. And it's being used to, by Soft drink manufacturers who say that their product is natural because it has corn syrup in it, it's, the term has no meaning whatsoever. And there are some groups who are wanting the Food and Drug Administration to start regulating the word natural, which I think would be a good thing because mm -hmm. it would prevent it being, from being overused and misused. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Ken Roseborough, who is the editor and publisher of the Organic and Non-GMO Report, a monthly newsletter that was really designed for food producers to respond to the challenges of genetically modified foods. But I want to encourage consumers as well to 
get on board and take a look at this publication because it is fantastic. And I should add here, Ken, that when you go to the website, you can get a glimpse of a, a previous issue, and you can also look at some of the topics that have been discussed. And we should let people know that the website is www.non-gmoreport.com. Tell me, uh, in your last issue, your most recent issue, you talk about how the GMO sugar beet case has now raised concern about corn as well, that the ruling calls into question the approval of GMO corn. Where do you think that might go? Well, it's hard to say. As far as the uh, government, it's not going to impact their decision at all because they've approved this corn. It's called Smart Stacks. It was developed by Monsanto and I think Dow Chemical. And it has eight genetically engineered traits in it. And when these genetically engineered crops are approved, the biotech companies that develop them are not required to submit any safety data to the FDA. It's totally a voluntary process for them to submit any any type of safety data. So the there's very little regulation of, of genetically engineered crops. And this smart stacks corn, there should be more regulation, more research that looks at the, the safety of this product because it has, as I mentioned, eight genetically engineered traits in it. And nobody knows basically what will be the, the impacts on, on the environment and, and human health. So when something like this is approved, as I mentioned in my article, the court overturning the uh, the approval of the sugar beets really should cast the spotlight on approvals of other genetically engineered crops that they should also must go through a rigorous economic and environmental impact study. Yeah, and I noticed also with regard to... Um, yeah, I think there's a disconnect that people really need to be thinking more from an ecological perspective with an understanding that if a certain crop hurts a particular species, that there will be effects down the road. So, for example, you discovered an article in the journal Nature Biotechnology, and it was about how uh, GM corn killed ladybugs. And do we really understand the full implication of that? No, we don't, and that's the problem. Yeah, that was Pioneer Hybrid was developing a, a GM corn, and they sent the corn to some ind- independent scientists to have them do some research on it, looking at the impact on beneficial in- insects, and they found that, as you mentioned, it was killing ladybugs, which are beneficial insects in agriculture. And the corn was submitted to the Environmental Protection Agency for approval, and it was approved by the EPA. And the scientists who conducted the study that found that it was coming to ladybugs sent the data to the EPA, but the EPA basically disregarded it or just ignored it, and the corn was approved. So there's an example of a genetically engineered corn product raising environmental concerns and some studies being done raising red flags, but 
being ignored by the government, basically. And who knows how many times this has happened because the regulations in the U.S. regarding these crops are so lax, and basically the industry gets what they want. If they want something approved, they usually get it approved. Well, I think what's really chilling here is that Pioneer forbade the scientists from publicizing the data. Right, right. Yeah, they told the scientists who conducted the research not to make the public make the results known because, obviously, they would fear a backlash. Right. So, you know, who knows how many times that has happened when these companies may have found some negative impacts from their GM crops, but the results from the studies were never released or just kept secret by the companies. And mm-hmm. So there's a lot of concerns about that. Well, and I noticed one of the articles here is extremely timely for consumers to know about, and this has to do with the U.S. Justice Department investigating Monsanto's GM seed dominance. And I think that this issue has been looked at from the perspective of its impact on farmers. But what I want to do is help consumers understand that we have a responsibility to help farmers have choice with their seed, because ultimately what what happens is we as consumers lose choice in the marketplace as to our biodiversity, the, the kinds of foods that are available to us. And I think that those choices are shrinking. And this seed dominance issue that the U.S. Department of Justice is looking at right now um, is very critical for all of us to be aware of and involved with. you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Monsanto is, I'm not sure what the figures are, but they, they have quite a uh, strong dominance in genetically engineered seed. And the problem that I'm seeing just talking to farmers is that the varieties, the non-GMO, non-genetically modified varieties, the con- what are also called conventional varieties of corn and soybeans, are just not as available as they used to be. So it's increasingly more difficult for farmers to find non-GMO seed. The uh, proponents of biotechnology like to say that, oh, farmers are just, you know, they're adopting these genetically engineered seeds. They just love them. Well, one reason they're adopting them is because they have uh, they have increasingly no choice. They have no choice but to buy GMO seed because the non-GMO seed is just not available. So as a result, the farmers are planting the, the GM seed and the GM corn and soybeans are being processed into animal feed, and it's being processed into ingredients that are going into our foods. Right. So the farmers are getting are having less choice, and we as consumers are having less choice. Absolutely. I knew that our time together would fly, and I want to let our listeners know that uh, this is not the last time we will be talking about this issue of seed dominance because it really has a lot to do with our relationships with our food and farming. Would you like to leave our listeners with a a send-off message? Yeah, I would just say to stay educated, to to learn about this issue. It's so important. Uh, This technology of genetic engineering is so potentially hazardous and to human health and the environment. And we as consumers really need to become educated, and to demand non-GMO foods. So I would say to keep up to date on what's happening with this issue, contact 
the makers of the food products that you eat to tell them that you want non-GMO foods. And I think in this way we'll be eating healthier. And also I would recommend to eat organic when you can because organic foods prohibit the use of genetic engineering. So that's another way to protect yourself from from the hazards of, of genetically engineered foods. That's absolutely right, Ken. I want to thank you very much for being with us today. And I want to remind our listeners again that we've been talking to Ken Roseborough, and he is the editor and publisher of a fantastic newsletter. So if you want to stay better informed about this topic, please go to www.non-gmoreport.com. Ken, thank you for your rigorous, fantastic journalistic reporting. I really appreciate the the rigors that you've applied to your investigative work on this topic. And I also want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Ken, for being with me today. It was a pleasure, Melinda.